0: There's nothing more precious than the word of God. It never returns void. So please give your attention to it now as Stephanie reads for us.
1: 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 11. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, would you take your word now and would you use it to change our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have ever been disappointed by the church, you are not alone. One writer states that at the end of the 20th century, churches in North America were losing approximately 7,600 participants every week. Today, a popular church consultant and conference speaker says, quote, unless the church in North America makes big changes and fast, we are facing sure death. It leads George Barna to conclude at the end of one of his polls that, quote, if the hope of the world is in the local church, then the world has no hope. What's insightful to me about these comments is that they are not given to us from people outside the local church, but from people within. In the first century church, there was a place called Corinth. It was on an isthmus. Corinth was a trade city. It was a place that was utterly decimated in 146 B.C. by the Romans. A century later, in 44 B.C., it was revived as a great economic center for the Roman Empire. And when Paul was traveling on his third missionary journey around the early 50s A.D., Paul went into Corinth. And after he left Corinth or while he was there, he met a couple you've heard of, Priscilla and Aquila. After he left Corinth, he went into Judea and then to Syria, and then eventually he settled in Ephesus for three years. There he saw Aquila and Priscilla again, who had been there for some time before he arrived, and they had met this amazing young apologist, incredible preacher named Apollos. And Paul had gotten word that people back in Corinth had begun to take sides. Some people liked Apollos, some people liked Paul. In fact, more than that, people had begun to say, like, listen, I don't know if we can really trust all that we've heard from this missionary. And so they began to um, pretend that sexual mores and ethics didn't really apply to them. They began to practice pagan worship again and just use Christianity as a coat of many colors over it. And when Paul catches wind of this, he writes from Ephesus an incredibly heated and charged letter. And he says to them, listen, like, you cannot have sex with people who are not your spouse. Do you know that? We assume that's what he says. Why do we assume it? We assume it because we actually don't have that letter. We only have the letter that he writes to them the second time, which is actually our first Corinthians. Because when Paul is in Ephesus, he gets a letter from these Corinthians in response to his first letter saying, listen, like, we are really confused by what you've just told us. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians as a way to correct their utter misunderstandings of his first letter that he wrote to them. Again, a letter we do not have. It is not in your Bibles. But a letter that undoubtedly he addresses their sexual licentiousness and their immorality. And Paul writes his second letter which is really our first Corinthians. Are you confused? We're clear. First Corinthians is actually Paul's second letter, but we don't really have the, we don't have the first one. It's not canonical. It's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not in the New Testament. And Paul writes to them, listen, why are you so divided? And when Paul comes to chapter three, he says, why do you say some of you are for Paul, some of you are for Apollos? And this passage is really helpful for me and my own disappointment with the church, even, even as one who... Has given his life to be a minister in the church. It's incredibly encouraging to me because we see this all the time, don't we? There is no end to the publishing of evangelical Christian books. And some of you even say to me, Oh, I prefer this person, or I'm from this camp, or I go to this conference, or I like this guy's writing style, or he's a really good preacher, or I prefer him. And it is a wonderful thing that we live in our year. It's wonderful. And media and the advancements in technology have been fantastic for the church in so many wonderful ways. But there is also an underbelly of much of what we have access to because it allows the church to be divided over things over which they should simply not be divided. It allows preferences and sides to be taken very early, even in a young church plant's life, that can oftentimes be very dangerous. And by God's grace, this is not something that I'm speaking to because I think it's a problem, but I think culturally it is a problem. Most of us have been disappointed by the church in some way, shape, or form. In fact, in church plants, the percentage is actually higher because the reason why you're here is because you didn't like the last place you went. And some of you are here because you've heard the gospel for the first time and your hearts have been melted by Jesus. we are so thankful that you're here. But I think, just like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we need to hear again about the church. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to talk about the church. And we start this morning with the disappointment of the church. Are you ready? All right. The reality of the disappointment with the church and the remedy for our disappointment. First, the reality of it. I think there are really four reasons why people are disappointed with the church. Missiologically, church is losing people. Personally, we all have bad experiences. Historically and intellectually and theologically. So first, very quickly, missiologically. You heard me quote earlier that the church is reportedly losing 7,600 people every week, right? Well, Let me give you some other numbers. Statistics can be misleading because there's so many things that have to go into it. So I will help you think through these. But in 1992, George Barna began to ask the question, and he's done it every year since. Did you go to church last Sunday? Pretty simple question. In 1992, 40% said yes. Every year since then, he has asked that question. And that percentage has gone up since he asked that question, but now it's trending down. 36% today say, yes, they went to church last weekend. But you have to be careful about statistics because there's what's called a halo effect. That is, that when you get a phone call from a pollster, you tend to tell that pollster that you're better than you really are. So people think that the actual number is more like 17.5% actually went to church last Sunday. And they think that by 2020, only 14.7% of the church, of people, will be in church on a given Sunday. So people sometimes are disappointed with the church because they say, look, the church is losing it. People are running out of church. Why won't they get the picture? It is like a dinosaur of an institution. Hmm? Interesting. Even though even though only 17 and percent would say they attend church on a given weekend, that percentage actually has not changed very much since 1992. What what has changed, which is remarkable, is the explosion of the. US. population. Remember, this is in respect to the population growth as well, right? So if you say, okay this percentages have stayed relatively the same but the population has grown actually what that means is people actually more people are going to church people say the church is dying a thousand deaths well let me tell you this if a hundred million people are going to church once a month a hundred million people i think we can say that the church is not quite yet dead no doubt about it no doubt about it there's been great disappointment with the church But for you to say, missiologically, the church is just hemorrhaging, I actually think that the statistics are arguing something different. Here's what they're arguing. Roman Catholic and mainline uh, mainline churches, forgive the slip, mainline presbyterian, and mainline churches, yes, are hemorrhaging. The statistics show that actually a great number of percentages of Roman Catholics and mainline Protestants are leaving the church. But between... 1992 and 2015, the percentage of evangelical Christians has actually risen. Did you know that? Which is remarkable because, again, remember statistics are given in reference to the total population, which means that several million more people are going to evangelical churches now than they were in 1992. My point is simply this. Can the church do more to evangelize? Of course. But the number of people going to church has remained relatively steady so maybe the problem is not so much with the institution itself, but with the evangelism of her people from within. Hmm? Could that be the case? Well, sometimes people say to me, well, listen, it's not, it's not, you know, who cares about statistics and numbers? Let's, I can only tell you my personal experiences with the church. And people have very real personal experiences of hurt and shame and of abuse in the local church. And I want you to know that. I am so sorry if that's been your experience. And I can only ask you to continue to come to our church. I'm not going to apo- defend some of your very real feelings of hurt and abuse, But let me just say this. Oftentimes people fall fall into one of two extremes when they talk about their personal hurts with the church. That is, that they come in with such high expectations of the local church that they have a veritable checklist that they are judging the church by. Worship song, Chris Tomlin, check. Expositional preaching, check. Good coffee, check. People have a checklist. You have one. I have one. It's it's almost impossible not to have one. And then they get disgruntled because their checklist wasn't fulfilled. Their expectations are actually far too high for what the local church should be because it is not. It is not there to meet your every preference. On the other hand, sometimes people have far too low expectations of the church. They just want to come to church and they want to be either entertained or they want to consume, but they want to walk out and they don't want to be challenged. And so when they hear the gospel and they're confronted with the white hot heat of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they say, no, 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 that's not what I signed up for. I'm out of here. So whether somebody has too high of expectations of the local church because of their personal preference checklist, or they have too low of an expectation that they don't want to be confronted and disappointed with the church because their expectations actually were not gospel-driven and centered. And undoubtedly, undoubtedly, we try very hard to make Trinity feel like a very welcoming place, but we too will fail at that many times, because what we want to hold dear and central to this church's identity is the faithful preaching of God's Word, the administration of the sacraments, and the practice and exercise of church discipline And loving each other well and helping us walk in line with the truth of the gospel. When you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's very interesting. What you find is that Paul, immediately in 1 Corinthians, he says, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believe. The word servants there is the same word we get from deacon, but it's before, it's 50 AD, it's before the Office of the diaconate has fully been fleshed out. It's still very inchoate, very new, and it means a table waiter. We are servants. We are table waiters of the Lord Jesus. Some of some of us, listen, you guys are getting frustrated because the person waiting your table is not doing it to your liking. What you should be concerned about is whether the food is edible. Because Jesus is in the kitchen, and that's where your complaints ought to go. Ministers of the gospel are simply ser- I'm a ta- what do you do for a living? I wait tables. That's what I do. And I wait tables by serving you the food that Jesus has prepared for you in His word. It's not my language, it is Jesus' language. And I want to very faithfully lift the text up for us to help us see that it applies to us today, just as much as it did 2,000 years ago. Notice what also he says. He says, servants through whom you believed as the Lord has assigned to each. Yes, some people are disappointed with the church and they have very real disappointments with the church. But I want to ask you a very important question. Are your disappointments, are your disappointments, are rejection, of the people in the church or are they a rejection of Jesus, the head of the church? There's a very big difference. Are you rejecting the local church or are you rejecting the faith once for all handed down to the saints? Many people will often say to us, um, we left the church you know, for this Reason and really, what they mean is, we did not want the church to be in our business anymore. That's true. Of people in this room, I know that because that's true in my own heart. People have missiological reasons why they're disappointed. People have personal reasons why they're disappointed. People, there's also a historical reason why people are disappointed. Please hear me. In the 18th century, in the 1700s, when America was first being founded, there there were three professions that were universally abusing people. Do you know that? There are three professions. One of them was the profession of law. People were posing as lawyers, and they were mistreating people, not providing the justice that they were due. The second profession were physicians. People were hanging out shingles, and they were posing as surgeons, and they were maiming people. And the third were ministers. But because America was a very new and young country, and the First Amendment was very clear, there was a separation of church and state. Ministry was protected from the oversight of illegal organizations of credentialed ministers. So, for example, the American Bar Association, in fact, Delaware was the first place that there was a bar association developed to protect people from the unjust um, uh, legal practice of people posing to be attorneys who did not have a license. And they began to license people in the state of Delaware very, very early in the founding of America. And they then, throughout the colonies, began to credential and license lawyers. And they set up, eventually, the American Bar Association. uh, Physicians were the same way. Very early in New Jersey, they began to license physicians. They began to require of them certain educational requirements, certain experiences in the OR, certain experiences to help people treat people's body, to do them no harm, as the Hippocratic Oath says. And they set up the American Medical Association, and it traveled throughout the colonies. Ah, but ministry, ministry was never allowed to be regulated in America, unlike it was in Britain. Why? Because of the First Amendment. So therefore, the point is this. You never know the qualifications of a minister. You never know. it. So what did the church do to try to protect parishioners from ministers who were claiming to teach the faithful word of God who actually were teaching heresy? You know what they did? They set up accountability structures. They did it the best that they could. You know what those accountability structures are called? They're called denominations, the thing that you say that you hate. They were actually created to protect you. They were actually protected to help rein in ministers who are preaching the gospel way outside the bounds of what the gospel really was. If Paul were alive back then, he may have said, just like he did in Galatians 1, the gospel you're claiming to preach is no gospel at all. So some of us have very real historical, intellectual struggles with the church because who holds the staff or who holds the ordained ministers accountable? Hmm. It's a great question. I hope you struggle over that. And I hope you ask the question to churches you visit. Why is he the preacher? What credentials does he have? Because many, many, many men, too, are shame. Who have been in ordained ministry have abused their office. Does that strike a chord with anybody? Does it make sense? It's very important that we understand that. Because many people outside have gone to churches where they just simply got burnt out, and the pastors impressed upon them things that were simply not commanded by Scripture. Hmm? Lastly, theological. Um, People look at the book of Acts, which is very simple. They look at the, the book of Acts and they say, Listen, um, you're having a new members' class next week. Where is that in Acts? Oh, where's, where's Sunday school? That's not in Acts. Like, I'm going to the true church. I'm going to find the true church. Just until I do, I'm going to play nine holes of golf on Sunday morning. I'm going to go to the true church. Listen, I've gone to churches before, I know the drill. They're, listen. I know the true church. It's, I, I'm going to go to Starbucks. I'm going to have a latte with my friend. And we're going to talk about spiritual things. Friends, this whole series is trying to help you rediscover your love for the church. And I just want you to acknowledge this morning that, yes, there are very legitimate reasons to be disappointed with her. Of course. Because we're human. But I dare to challenge you that if you will stick with us, if you will wait through this class as we look at not the disappointment of the church only, but the idea of the church, the visibility of the church, the marks of the church, the point of the church, how the church becomes the body and the bride of Jesus for our community, maybe, just maybe, you will see what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Lower your eyes to the text and let's see the remedy. We've seen the reality. What is the remedy? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul. We are servants through whom you believed. I planted, Paul says, Apollo watered, but it was God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. What's the principle? The principle is this. Number one, Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And Jesus knows that it's a mess. But he loves her. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died, we just sang earlier. Paul is trying to say listen, it is not about the preferences you have. I don't care what camp you're in. Christ is the head of the church. So, with your disappointments, are you being disappointed because of a preference that you have, a style that someone has or does not have? Or are you allowing God to confront you with the reality of your need for a Savior? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to draw you in to deeper and deeper repentance? Because he says in verse 10, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Secondly, though we try, though we are royal, we all the evangelical church, try desperately to market our churches to the right people. Do you know who gives the growth? It's God. God gives the growth. God is not surprised why there are many people at certain churches. He knows them all by He knows who are His by name. And He allots sheep to the shepherds. We have always grown. Every year, Trinity continues to grow. We just planted a church and we with fear and trepidation and excitement sent 40 people to Grand Lake to plant three rivers. It's great. We're going to continue to do that. We're not going to wait until we get to a certain size. We're going to let the Holy Spirit help us recognize when we need to plant a church and then do it. And by God's grace, we continue to grow every year. But one day, someday, we're not going to grow. Because every local church gets maxed out at some point because the pastor needs to be able to shepherd the people well. And that church begins to plateau when people stop being shepherded well. And we don't know where that number is for us. We, re- we really don't. But we enjoy amazing seasons of growth here But I just want to challenge you that when that growth stops, if it does, and when it does, will you be less enamored with the church? Or will you say, oh, I like the new church planter down the street. Oh, I prefer this guy. Will you recognize that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the head of the church, who is bringing us together, each one of us together, to be, what he says here, his field, his building, Out of which the soil of the gospel produces beautiful fruit. Out of which our children come to understand the grace and the goodness of their need for a Savior. Out of which Christians who for many, many years have gone to church, come to Trinity. At one point in time, we had five ministers in our church who just wanted to come to heal. And they just wanted to come and hear the gospel. Listen. We want to continue to bear fruit together, but we've got to recognize that it is Christ who gives the growth. And we need to be humbled, humbled by that, not grow arrogant. Because the moment that the church becomes trendy is the moment it signs its death warrant. We have got to be faithful to do what we do. It's sometimes the most banal things are the things that save your life. Relatively speaking, eating three square meals a day is not that sexy. You have to do it to live, but you have to do it. In the same way, we confess our sins on Sunday, not because we think it's like the cool thing to do, but because we need to be confronted again with a period in our week where we can actually stop and the wheels and the machinations of our minds can just rest and we can say, yes, oh, yes. Jesus, I need you to help me see my sin. And we want every week for you to come to the Lord's table because it is not something new. We do it because we believe Scripture calls us to do it. It doesn't have to be done every week, but we think it's good for it to be done every week, and so we practice it every week because we think it is the best way for you to grow long-term. Over time, we have seen, and we will continue to see, Beautiful fruit for the sake of the gospel. But we've got to recognize as a young church that even with our disappointments, even as you come new to Trinity, you have your own baggage of disappointment. Friends, Jesus is the head of the church. And is your disappointment with the church a disappointment with the church? Or is it a disappointment with Jesus? Do you run from Jesus or do you have legitimate criticisms because the gospel is not being faithfully preached in that church? Listen, I'm just a table waiter. These are the questions that the text begs of us to ask. Notice that Paul gives this metaphor of a building. He says that we are God's building. When you come to a foundation, you have to make a decision. When you see a foundation in a new house that's being built in Bartlesville or Skytook or Walsall or Collinsville or Claremore, you see a foundation, you have to decide what kind of structure is going to go on that foundation. And our foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to build upon his blueprints, And therefore, we practice some things again and again and again because his blueprints call us to practice those things again and again and again. And they are precious. And we need them more than we could ever imagine. So as we begin to enter into this series on the church, I just want you to ask the question, in your disappointment with the church, has it been a disappointment with the church? Legitimate disappointment because of heresy? because they are leading people astray and maybe they are and you should be concerned and you should run from that church. Or is it a disappointment with Jesus confronting you about your sin, even your sin about preference? Hmm? We should be humble as a people and we should ask those good questions even though we may come to different conclusions. The questions need to be asked because Paul presents it to us here. Here. You are God's temple. Do you not know that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple through dissension or division, will God destroy him? The answer is yes. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, it says. For God's temple is holy, and you, friends, are that temple. One last thought. Paul's point is that the worldliness of the Corinthian church intermingled with the world caused them to become extremely divisive upon their preferences. And one commentator says that they are not able to learn anything more because of the fundamental lesson that they have forgotten the gospel. To bow before a crucified Savior is to acknowledge one's wretchedness, wretchedness and abject need and to cast oneself on the rich mercy of God as a rebellious sinner who deserves nothing but God's wrath and an eternity of separation from Him. It is to recognize that we have nothing to bring before Him. And clearly that spells visions. It is the first lesson in the school of spiritual maturity. So the factions developing in the Corinthian congregation illustrate that they have not yet grasped the need to be crucified with Christ. Friends, let us be marked by a radical humility. Let us know that we too are crucified with Christ. Lord, let us know that whether you prefer Paul or Apollos, listen, it is Christ who is head of the church. And would you pray? For the leaders of Trinity, pray for the leaders of the local churches in this town where the gospel is preached, that people will begin to see the point of the church is not to have a building that is suited to their preferences or to have a service suited to theirs, but it is to see the clarion call of their need for the gospel and then to be the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ in our communities throughout the course of the work week. That defines the church. It may not be that trendy. But as Mark Twain once said, the rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated. Christ will build his church and he will continue to build it. And we will continue to have disappointments with the church. But oh friends, let us come together and let us see the beauty of our risen Savior who has called his people into one body to be a temple, to be a building for his glory. And run to this table in a few moments, humbled, that you have rejected God's ordained means of spreading the gospel based upon your preference, oftentimes, and not upon the heresy that's being preached, as you suppose. So friends, let's prepare for the table. And let's begin to be the church over these next several weeks together. We're going to have really candid conversations about it. But the head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we as a people are in desperate need of continual repentance in light of his finished work for us. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. Oh, friends, let us come to the table humbled, and let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us to recognize that though we have many legitimate reasons to be disappointed by the church, sometimes those disappointments, quite frankly, are reflections of our own heart's need for the gospel. And Jesus, I pray you would help us even now to take one small step forward toward being reconciled with your people, with the church, and that you would help us not only in the giving of our tithes and offerings, but in running to your table in just a moment to do so humbly, amazed that you used this crazy institution called your church to be your visible hands and feet in the world today. So mark us with your love and with your humility and with repentance. We beg of you now, in Jesus' name, amen.